I do think they beat Carolina. I think they can beat New England. I think they can beat Atlanta and will beat the Jets. So if you look at that, optimistically, the Bills go 4-1 and one the rest of the way. That is an 11-win season, 11-6. and six. Look at that, the, the Patriots' road the rest of the year. They're 9-4. and four. I mentioned the bye at Indy. I think that's a loss for them. They then have the Bills again, and I think the Bills get them in New England. So that's two losses. That puts them in 9-6. and six. They then have the Jags, 10-6, and six, at Miami, 11-6. and six. So I think that there's a good chance the Bills can end up in a tie for this division the way things have gone. But if they don't beat New England in New England, they have zero chance. They're currently basically three games behind the Patriots because of the tiebreaker situation that New England now holds over them by virtue of the victory last night. It's not over. However, it's certainly not going as expected. And there's a lot of reasons for that. So before I get into the game, I want to talk about philosophy. I hated philosophy in college. It was one of those courses I rarely did any work in because I could not stand the reading. Yet as I've gotten older, I've embraced it. Not the Plato and Aristotle crap. No, not that stuff. The philosophy of team building. When you play in Western New York... You play in a certain element. If you play in a dome, you don't have to prepare for those elements. But when you play in Buffalo, you have to be prepared. So when you build your team, you know there's likely going to be two games a year that the running game and stopping the run has to, has to carry your team. It's just the way it is. You know that when you build a team in Western New York, you've got to have a quarterback of a certain ilk. He can't be a small, quick guy without a strong arm. He's got to be a big, strong guy, strong arm. I just described Jim Kelly. I also just described Josh Allen. And without getting into too much of the game last night, Josh Allen played a great game, not a good game. He played a great game last night, and I'll tell you why when we get to that part of it. So Bean and McDermott do go with the big, strong quarterback to team build to their situation. They then assemble... An offensive line of guys who are on the smallish, and some are bigger. I mean, Spencer Brown's a big man, but they specialize in pass blocking. They're not good run blockers. Mitch Morris is an undersized center. They brought him in because of his experience, made him at the time the highest paid center in the league. He's been incredibly average in his time in Buffalo. The left guard situation, Ike Bucker last night, he wasn't terrible. John Feliciano brings a toughness to that position that's something that's sorely needed, so that would be an improvement if and when he comes back, hopefully this week against Tampa. But the right guard situation where Daryl Williams is playing, Daryl Williams was a journeyman. Came in as a journeyman from Carolina, had a good year at right tackle last year. They re-upped him, moved him into, guard, into the guard spot because Spencer Brown was at right tackle, the rookie third-round pick. They wanted more of him. But if you think of the overall philosophy of team building, they spent a second-round pick on Deion Dawkins. And overall, for his career, Deion Dawkins has been a pretty damn good left tackle. This year hasn't been as good. Whether it's the COVID situation that was really difficult for him and he's struggled to come back or he's just not playing as well, it's been a struggle for Deion Dawkins. Left guard's below average. Center's below average. Right guard's below average. When you have three interior offensive linemen that are below average, and a big part of it is the 
total whiff on Cody Ford in the second round a couple years ago. Cody Ford hasn't developed. He's been a miss. He's been a blown draft pick, a wasted draft pick. It hasn't worked out. And then, of course, Spencer Brown, too early to say where that's going to go. But it's a lack of investment. And when you have invested, there's two second-round picks in that offensive line, Dawkins and Ford. When you have invested, one of them worked, one of them didn't. But it's a lack of getting the right attitude up front for the time we're in. I never was a fan of Richie Incognito because Richie Incognito off the field and even sometimes on the field was, was an idiot and, and did stupid things. But the mentality that Richie Incognito brought to the team when he was in Buffalo, the physicality that he brought, is something that the Bills haven't had only in spots with Feliciano at times. They miss that. They need that. They've got to find that this offseason. They've got to get tougher and more physical. And after the game, Sean McDermott refused to say they were out physical up front. I hope that's him telling the media that. Then he's going to go back, watch the film of seeing his team get their ass handed to him up front and say, you know what? We're not a very physical football team. We've got to change that. So that's a big part of it. But the other side is the defensive line. I've said this over and over and over again on every platform I'm on that people listen to me. The Bills' investment in the defensive line is much higher than any other part of their team. They spend more money and have had more draft picks. Think about it. There are three top draft picks on that defensive line. Appadenza was the top draft pick last year. Rousseau, I'm sorry, two years ago, he was a second-round pick, but he was their first pick. Two, this year, Rousseau was the first pick. And, of course, Ed Oliver at number nine. Oliver has paid off. They've also spent money on Mario Addison. They continue to pay a lot to Jerry Hughes. Starla Tulele was a big investment defensive lineman. Starla Tulele showed up in the, in the stat sheet last night with the same amount of impact of the game as I had. I was on my couch yelling at the TV. At least I was doing that. I'm not even sure Star was doing that. Zero tackles, zero assists, zero anything. I don't think he took up a freaking blocker. I get it. He's coming back from COVID. He's not completely healthy. But can we say that was a terrible signing? Can we at this point point out the fact that they paid this guy $11 million a year was a disastrous signing by Brandon Bean? Is it too soon for that? The funny thing is, Greg Rousseau played a nice game last night, and he was one of the better players, held his edge a couple times very well early, got beat a couple. It's going to happen. You're going to get beat. But what killed me is watching on the other side of the ball, the exact player that the Bills lack blew up Mitch Morris a couple times so badly, Christian Barrymore of the Patriots, He was their second-round draft pick out of Alabama. Nobody wanted this kid. He was a top defensive tackle in the draft, but apparently he doesn't play all the time. But yet in New England, he's going to make the all-rookie team because apparently they could coach guys up. But when I watched that last night, all I could think of is, man, you spend a first-round pick on Greg Rousseau, a second-round pick on Boogie Basham, who hasn't done a, a, a thing this year, And Christian Barrymore putting him next to Ed Oliver, your defensive tackles would be set for the next five years. That would be a great combination. You've got the physical stud, big body Barrymore, and the quick playmaking Ed Oliver. It's a perfect combination. But it didn't happen. 
They went for size and speed because McBean, McDermott and Bean, their philosophy, pass the ball, stop the pass. That's great. It's fantastic in September and October and early November. But late in December, in Ralph Wilson Stadium, not calling it that other stupid name. I should call it I should call it Bill Belichick Stadium because actually the Patriots own that shit. Let's be honest. They own that place. You're playing games, meaningful games. This year they've moved it back even further. The Bills have two games in January scheduled, and if they were playing good, they'd have two more games in the playoffs there as well. So you'd be playing the entire month of January outdoors in Buffalo. And you set up a team that's not equipped to play in the elements, with the exception of Josh Allen? That's your team-building philosophy? Look what they did on the defensive line. Epinenza, undersized, really quick. Followed it up this year with Basham and Rousseau. Both, they're trying to put weight on. Both undersized, but very quick. They did the same thing with Ed Oliver. Oliver's undersized, but quick. And Oliver's paying off. Again, I'm not on Ed Oliver. The selection of him will pay off if you get it. The one physical defensive player they've taken has been Tremaine Edmonds. And if you watch last night, you'll know that Tremaine Edmonds is not getting the second contract in Buffalo. There's no way you could pay that guy what you're going to pay him next year when you pick up his fifth-year option for the next couple of years. Because last night was a showing of him not being able to control the running game. When Indianapolis and Jonathan Taylor made them their bitch a couple weeks ago, everyone said, well, Starr wasn't playing and neither was Edmonds. Well, last night they ran for 222 yards against the Bills and Starr and Edmonds were out there. And I know people say, well, yeah, but one of those was a 65-yard run. Yes, it was. It was a 65-yard run. But they still ran it 45 other times against them and they couldn't stop it. You lost to a team that threw the ball three times. And they did so because they were willing to play to the situation, whereas the Bills were not. Where the Bills actually played better because they cannot run the ball because their two third-round pick running backs aren't very good, Singletary and Moss. There's a replay, and you'll see it today, I'm sure, on social. Moss took a handoff at the four-yard line. Starts to go to the right. Brown is blocking Judon. He turns him inside. If Moss... Bounces it outside. He walks in. There is not a soul over there. Instead, he cuts it up inside. I still remember high school football a million years ago. We barely had face masks to grab, but my coach grabbed me by the face mask one day. Read the block! <laughs> it's simple football. It is elementary. And it, it, it's something that if you don't know by the time you're in high school, and I did, and I didn't do it, you get screamed at for not knowing it. In the NFL, it costs you a touchdown. And that's all the Bills needed. Now, the other thing that really got me last night was the lack of support for Josh Allen. Look, the offensive line isn't good, so he's running for his life. Dawson Knox had as bad of a game as you'll ever see a guy have. He had two blatant drops. The false start penalty on the second-to-last play of the game was crushing. That is unbelievably bad. I mean, I don't don't even know how to describe how bad that penalty is. And the last play where Allen makes an unbelievable throw, all things considered— 
to, to keep the play alive, to roll out to the right, to throw a dart, and, and put it on target. If Dawson Knox comes back to the football the way you always are supposed to, there's either going to be one of two things, a touchdown or pass interference, or another drop. Three things. My bad. I forgot it was Dawson Knox we're talking about. And the Bills win that game. It's pretty simple. There's also another problem. Earlier in the game, the Bills get down to the four-yard line, early in the fourth quarter. They get to the four-yard line after a first-down run by Zach Moss. The weather, the situation, the time on the clock, you've got to take advantage of that. And how do you do it? You run the damn football. No, on second down, they end up throwing it, losing yardage, getting a timeout called for some god-awful reason. I'm going to get to that. And then on third down, they, they don't get a touchdown, so they have to kick it, which the way it worked out, if Bass makes that kick, it was the right decision because then they could have kicked it late and possibly won the game. Well, last night, I, 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 can't, I hate kickers. I, I'm not even going to get on Bass for missing that kick. You can't. He hit it good. The wind just took it. If you've ever played golf in the wind, you you know that feeling. It's up there, and it looks good, and all of a sudden the wind gets you. go, uh-oh. Oh, boy. Help. Yeah, you're done. That's what happened. But the second down play, if you're Brian Dable, you got Josh Allen, you got an offensive line that's getting their ass handed to him, you don't trust your running backs, clearly, because if you did, you'd hand off again. How do you not RPO it with Josh Allen and get him on the move to either take it himself on a designed run or roll out and throw it? It just it befuddles me. You can't go backwards from the four-yard line on that play in any way. New England's strength is their defensive backfield. That's always been their strength. It's a huge strength. So why play into that? And the most important play call of the game, they played into New England's strength. And what New England does so well every time, what are you good at? Oh, all right, we're not going to challenge you there. What are you not good at? That's where we're going to beat you. Sean McDermott didn't like it that people thought he got outcoached last night. Sean McDermott got so outcoached last night, it was unbelievable to me that he would say this quote, let's not give more credit than we need to give credit to Bill Belichick in this one. Really? You just got your ass handed to you by a guy who's got a master's degree and you're hoping to graduate from high school this year. The way it's going, you're going to be taking summer school classes. A fourth and one challenge. I, I, I so wish somebody asked this question in the press conference. What did you see on replay or what did you hear from the people who saw on replay upstairs that said to you, we can win this challenge? Definitely will win this challenge. Because in the fourth quarter, timeouts are so valuable to everyone in this entire world except Sean McDermott. It's mind-boggling to me. They called the timeout down at the goal line earlier because they couldn't get a play in. I should say later. So the Bills only had one timeout after the missed fourth down pass by Allen. They only had one timeout. They weren't going to get the ball back. And then that injury thing happened. Whatever. McDermott coached a terrible game. He was outcoached, outclassed, and, and sadly, 
This has been his Achilles heel since he's come to Buffalo. His team culture building has been spectacular. Guys believe in him. But his in-game coaching simply hasn't improved. Many coaches have reached out and created a position called game management coordinator. They're analytics guys. They do things that allow the coaches to understand how to use play calling to best manipulate clock, timeout usage. Many coaches have reached out and hired a referee to sit in their booth to watch plays and say, challenge, don't challenge, things like that. McDermott's always the smartest guy in the room, and it's going to be his ultimate undoing here in Buffalo when and, when and if that happens. It'll be because he's the smartest guy in the room. He doesn't want to lose control of anything. And, and hiring somebody to tell you what to do loses control. And unfortunately for McDermott, that's a problem because if he had somebody in his ear, no, don't challenge it. There's nothing that's going to overturn it. He has a timeout. He's got two timeouts at the end of the game, even wasting that crap timeout later. His challenge record is deplorable. Why? Because he challenges based on emotions. Hire an ex-referee to sit up there who doesn't give a rat's ass about the game and is watching the plays as a referee, and he's going to tell you without emotion whether to challenge or not challenge. We all get emotional when we watch things we like. It's natural. It's why we watch them, because it stirs that in us. When you're refereeing a game, the emotion is void. It's about getting calls right. That's all you want to do. That is the entirety of your purpose. And you hire somebody in your ear to give you that. It takes your emotion out of it. McDermott won't do it. There's a guy from Dansville, Jimmy DeBell. He's a friend of mine. He's an ex-NFL official. He's tied in with Mike Pereira. Very good friends with Mike. They talk all the time. Jimmy was part of the most recent boot up of spring football that didn't work. He will be part of the next startup that Pereira is going to be the director of officiating at. Jimmy Jimmy DeBell sitting in that booth would have looked at that and said, do not challenge that. And you just move on. And guess what? Just moving on gives you another timeout and gives you a chance to get the ball back again later. So maybe you tried another field goal kick there on 4th and 19 or 4th and 14. And with two timeouts and a two-minute warning, you can get it back. But no, you waste the timeout. You waste timeout. He does it every game. He didn't get a chance to take a defensive timeout, and I'm sure that pissed him off. It just happens over and over and over again. It's one other thing that McDermott did last night. With the weather, he benched his two return men, namely Isaiah McKenzie. He doesn't trust McKenzie to catch the ball. That's fine. Isaiah McKenzie does something quite often during games that he plays that's a valuable asset and could have been something that would have helped last night, the jet sweep. We've seen it time and time again. He doesn't trust him. Well, that's fine. It's just, you just lost a player. When McDermott said he didn't trust having him back there, McKenzie's got to be like, well, why am I on this team then? If you don't trust me, it's just things feel like they're spiraling. Jerry Sullivan of the Niagara Gazette and one of the Buffalo radio stations asked a question to Micah Hyde and, and, and to, to Porter if, if, to Poyer if they were embarrassed by the run game. 
and it spiraled from there. And and the two safeties got upset and said, yeah, we'll remember that. We'll remember that. It was a legitimate question. It wasn't a question to get a reaction. But again, the emotions now are starting to spill over in Buffalo. This feels like a season that's spiraling. This feels like if you're old enough to remember when the Bills were good in the late 80s, early 90s, they started to get good, and then the bickering Bills came in, if you remember that. And there was a lot of personalities, and there was a lot of things going on in the locker room. And then they settled it down and brought it back. That's what this feels like. The culture that Sean McDermott has created and perfected so well is starting to show cracks in the facade. And it's because of the the inability to execute at the end of games and get wins. They didn't execute at the end of Jacksonville. Should have won that game. Didn't execute at the end of last night. Should have won that game. And people are saying, well, Josh Allen should be getting it done. Yes, he should. He's being paid to get them done. That's why he's got a $240 million contract. Last night, Josh Allen completed 50% of his passes. He had probably seven other passes that could have been caught. The throw to Stefan Diggs down the sideline was a difficult catch for Diggs. And, and, and look, I'm not, I'm not crapping on Stefan Diggs for not making that play. I'm not. He makes that play probably seven out of ten times. That throw is about as good a throw as you'll ever see in the NFL. With the conditions that were last night, to throw that ball and put it on Stefan Diggs' hands. And I get it that Diggs had to turn around to get it because of the wind. But that's about as good as you will ever see in that situation. Josh Allen made some unbelievable throws. The back shoulder throw to Diggs late in the game. There are about four guys in the league that can make that throw. Allen's one of them. He played very well last night and got his ass handed to him. He got hurt a couple times hard. Look, people are going to want to rail on the officiating. There's always going to be missed calls. There's always going to be bad calls. The worst call of the game gave the Bills a 15-yard penalty. The Bills got a first down on that out-of-bounds play that Josh Allen lunged for the first down. I don't want to hear about the officiating. You always hear that. Had nothing to do with it last night. What it had to do with is inability to execute in bad weather because your team is soft. And that goes to coaching and goes to team management. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have a soft football team. They haven't been able to fix that, yet they've continued to build a certain way. Will they change course or will their arrogance continue to go down the same road? Because unless they figure a way to change it, late December, January now as we're playing into January with the 17-week schedule is going to be a challenge for the Bills if they play at home. Oh, by the way, the last two games of the year at home in January. Three more home games left after last night. Here we are, what, December 7th? And they've got three more home games. You want to say the schedule was unfair? They should want December home games. It should be an advantage You've misbuilt your team if a late December game is a disadvantage. That goes to Bean and McDermott. And remember, it goes more to McDermott than Bean, in my opinion, because McDermott is Bean's boss. He brought him there. I know that's not the hierarchy if you look up one Bill's drive, how it goes. But I've always been convinced that the final answer goes through McDermott. So it's on him.
One more thing. Dawson Knox, he's had a nice year this year. And if he's your second tight end, that's good. But Tommy Sweeney isn't a blocker. If Dawson Knox is your first tight end, your second tight end better be Lee Smith. Because you need somebody who can run block. Knox isn't a bad blocker. He's not a great blocker. He's not a bad blocker. Tommy Sweeney's not a good blocker. You can't have a tight end room that doesn't run block. You know, the old school three tight end set. Yeah, the Bills can't do that. Reggie Gilliam was hurt last night as well. He's their third tight end slash fullback. Another area of softness that the Bills need to improve. You look at these college teams with the spreads. They've all got tight ends. Find one that can block. Fifth round draft pick. Get a tight end in there that can block somebody. Get a young Lee Smith. And I can't believe I'm saying that because Lee Smith is the ultimate role player. But he's played his role well. Without his toughness, without his fire, they lost something and they didn't replace it. Hopefully Feliciano gets back next week against Tampa and we'll see what happens going forward with that. All right, the rest of the league in week 13. I told you there was a little venom this morning. Western New York's a little, you know, on edge. Might be a day to go to Wegmans and be real nice to people. Hi, how are you? Good. Did you watch the game? No, I didn't watch a freaking game. Yeah, okay. You know, just... Cowboys Saints played last Thursday night, and anyone who thinks paying Taysom Hill like a starting quarterback has never watched Taysom Hill as a starting quarterback. First off, Taysom Hill should be a running back because he, he is really good running the football. Really dangerous. And he can throw it a little bit, too. He's a weapon. I'll, I'll grant you that. But the more you use that weapon as your starting quarterback, the more you see he is not a starting quarterback. Four interceptions later last week, the Cowboys had a laugher. Now, the Saints have, I don't know if it's the best front seven in all of football, but it's top three. And that front seven dominated that game last night. Ezekiel Elliott had no success. Tony Pollard had the big run for the touchdown. Thanks to the worst angle I've ever seen a safety take, I still don't understand that. I was watching it. I'm like, is he not sprinting? Why? Whatever. Tony Pollard gets a touchdown. Dak, not great again. Amari Cooper back, but not all the way back. C.D. Lamb didn't look Right, so maybe too quick to come back from the concussion. I would expect them to be better this weekend. The Cowboys' defense had gotten Demarcus Lawrence back. That's huge. I think they'll get Randy Gregory back this week. Micah Parsons is an absolute freak. With those three guys on the field, their defensive backfield isn't very good, and the middle of their D-line isn't spectacular. I think there's enough there to keep them competitive to not only win the East, but give somebody a problem in the playoffs should they get there. Tampa beat Atlanta, and it's crazy. Bills are playing Tampa this week. It's crazy what Brady's doing. He's 44 years old. He had 368 yards and four touchdowns. He threw a pick, well, whatever. But think about this. Last year, Brady gets the MVP, wins the Super Bowl. This year's completion percentage, 68.3. Last year, 65.7. He's thrown for 34 touchdowns. Of course, they've got five games left. He threw for 40 last year. So he's going to be better this year than he was last year, touchdown-wise. His quarterback rating is 104. Last year, it was 102. 
He's improved upon it. He leads the league. You're seeing it there if you're watching video. First in completions, first in pass TDs, first in pass yards, and first in pro football focus pass grade. He's having a better year this year than he had last year. It's insanity. 44 years old. It's just the only flaw in his entire all-around game is the fact he dyes his hair. Who cares? You're Tom freaking Brady or the GOAT. Go gray, dude. Still a pretty boy. Giselle still love you. And Gronk playing like they did back in New England. It's, it's truly an amazing thing. Oh, by the way, Leonard Fournette, they found how to use Leonard Fournette. That doesn't bode well. The, the Bucks have a big offensive line, a physical, nasty offensive line. Former Hobart grad on that offensive line, so uh, you'll be watching that. And I always think it's it's great to see that. But man, this is a bad matchup for the Bills. They're going against another physical run team with big blocking tight end like Gronk, and they don't have answers. And, and I don't see the Bills winning this game. I really don't. It, it's it's unfortunate. The best team in the NFL though isn't Tampa Bay. It's the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray was back last week. They beat the Bears in Chicago, 33-22. The Bears, Matt Nagy, dead man walk, and we've talked about that. The Red Rifle went last week because of an injury to Fields. Andy Dalton throws four picks. Who's surprised? You know, Raise your hand if you're surprised the Red Rifle doesn't have it anymore. It's just unbelievable to me how little respect the defense of Arizona gets. Everyone talks about Murray and Hopkins, and rightly so, their injuries, their availability. But, man, that defense is really good in the desert, and I think that they will have home field advantage all the way through. That's a dome team going to play, be playing at home in a dome. They are fast. They're nasty on defense. They're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. Great game, or at least I thought it was a great game, between the Chargers and Bengals. And the Chargers won 41-22, got out to a 24-0 lead in this one. Justin Herbert, I've talked ad nauseum about how good he is. But as I watch the game, the more I watch Joey Burrow, the more I thought, you know what? If I had to choose between those two quarterbacks going forward, it's not an easy choice to say Herbert. And I might say Burrow. Bro, I'm sure he broke his finger early on. He gutted it out and played his ass off, and he's got excellent receivers. Jamar Chase dropped a pass that became that should have been a touchdown and became an interception. He was two steps behind the defender, hits off his hands, and the defender picks it off. T. Higgins had probably his best game since Clemson in this one. Boyd was over 100, I believe, as well. They're really good. Mixon is a tough physical runner. That Cincy team, if they get in, and and it's no guarantee because the North is so tough, if they get in, I wouldn't want to play them because they could do a lot of good things, and their defense is getting better. They're a good offseason away from being a perennial playoff team, and I can't believe I'm saying that about the Cincinnati Bengals. Detroit finally got a win, man. This I thought this was so cool. Jared Goff makes the throw at the end of the game to beat the Vikings. And, you know, Campbell, who, who talked about biting kneecaps in training camp, had as good of a post-game speech as there is. The game ball went to the victims of the 
Oxford High School massacre, shooting, whatever crap you want to call it. Just a horrific situation. And it wasn't lost on the, the Lions and their team. And for them to, to talk about that and have the patch on their, on their uniforms, just a, an emotional week in the Detroit area, obviously, for many reasons. Very glad they got a win. They, they're tough. They don't have the talent, but they play for Matt Campbell. And they're going to get it done eventually, I do believe, with him there. Indy whooped up on Houston. Houston's still in the NFL. Can we relegate Houston? You know, David Culley waited a long time to get a chance. I'm going to talk about coaches on the hot seat. Yeah, I don't know. Houston is going to be fourth in the draft if they pick now. That's all I got. I, I got nothing else on that one. Miami beat the Giants 20-9. to And anyone who watched this game, I give you credit. You're a diehard fan. I was watching paint dry instead and had a much better day. The, the Dolphins, though, are, are right there. They're at 6-7 and seven now, all of a sudden rolling. And um, all the whole Tua can't play, Tua Even Colin Cowherd finally gave Tua some love the other day. He's really been playing well. He does what he does. He's not Josh Allen. He's not Justin Herbert. He's not Joey Burrow. He's a conservative game manager who can make throws, and he's accurate. There's a lot to like about what Tua brings to the table. You're seeing Jalen Waddell emerge. You're seeing the, the defense get back to where it was last year. Look, the Giants, are, a, are they're a dumpster fire. Jake Fromm might very well start this week because Daniel Jones is out again. Glennon got hurt. Jake Fromm, who was on Buffalo's practice squad last week, may start this week for the Giants. That goes over big in the Big Apple. I'm sure the back pages are all about that. Actually, had a phenomenal back page in the New York Post. I believe it was Monday. All black with just lettering. We're not going to subject you to the Jets and Giants games yesterday with with a nasty headline, but we'll cover them in depth inside. It was great. It was like covering them without covering them. Fantastic stuff there. Philly beat the Jets. <laughs> there you go. Philly beat the Jets 33-18. Gardner Minshew, <laughs> the guy, you know, if you line up the people in the NFL, who do you want to have a beer with? I think Gardner Minshew is my number one pick. Like, that guy shows up like looking like Maverick and Top Gun with the leather jacket and the aviator shades on. But after the game, his interaction with his father shows how real it is to this guy. And, you know, for the Jags to give him up for a six-round pick, the Jets gave the same thing up for Joe Flacco. It's just, I thought that was a nice gesture to move on from him. And I'm not saying Jalen Hurts shouldn't be the starter in Philly when healthy. He should be. But that's a good situation. Oh, for New York Giants or Jets football fans, think of this. Right now, if the draft started... The Jets, they would be five and six or four and five, and the Giants would be six and seven. So there's that. Four picks in a row go to New York. Oh, did I mention it's going to be the weakest draft in years? Sorry. It just is. The Washington football team beat Vegas 17 to 15. Vegas now falls to three and four post John Gruden. They've lost four of five. They're a team that's had a tough season. They're in turmoil. 
The Washington football team's playing better defense now without Chase Young, who's their best defensive player, in my opinion, than they have all season. And Taylor Heineke continues to show that he should be the quarterback going forward. He's not a great quarterback, but he's a great leader, and this team believes in him, and he got it done late. And I thought that was really important road win for them to keep the heat on the Cowboys, both Philly and Washington improving, keeping the heat on the teams that are ahead of them. Rams got healthy over the Jags. Everyone gets healthy over the Jags. It's like going to Taco Bell at the end of the night. You're going to get healthy. You're going to feel better in the morning. Well, maybe not. But either way, it seems like you will at night. Much needed win. And you wonder, too, Urban Meyer, all this coaching carousel in college, how tempting is it for him to pick up the phone or have one of his agents pick up the phone and say, hey, by the way, I might want to go over there and and work. Steelers beat the Ravens, and the big story of this one was the Ravens going for two at the end. Love the call. Absolutely love the call. Lamar made the right read. I know you got to watch. you got to block T.J. Watt at the most important play of the game. T.J. Watt's the best defensive player in the league right now. How you don't block him on the biggest play of the game, a whole other thing. Lamar rushed the throw, I thought, a little bit. That would have got, but I really like that call. I like the aggressiveness. Ben played as good as he can play. It was a big, big win for the Steelers. A lot of speculation came out last week that this will be Ben's last year in Pittsburgh, last year in the NFL. I don't know why anyone's surprised or speculating on this because anyone who's watched, Ben can't be enjoying this. This guy is going to walk into the Hall of Fame as soon as he gets out. It becomes eligible. He's a 100% candidate. He's not that now. He's a shell of what he used to be. And I know he got himself in shape this offseason. He's grown up. He's gone from somebody accused of raping several women. I think three is several, but whatever. Several women to a father and seemingly somebody who's got his life together. So I give him credit there. But it, it is time. And I know it sucks that it's time. Whenever a legend walks away, it's always time. Man, it's so obvious it's time in Pittsburgh. That's a pretty good team. One other thing about the Steelers, a guy who I'm befuddled, Devin Bush. He just he had a great rookie year, and it's been downhill ever since, and I don't know what happened. I thought with he and T.J. Watt, they were going to just grow together and be one-two. Man. Just isn't there. Really, really strange. Seattle beat the 49ers. This is a bad loss for the Niners. They were playing pretty good football, but they go up to Seattle, and Russell Wilson looked a little bit like Russell Wilson. Oh, by the way, Seattle might want to draft an offensive lineman. Just saying. Just throwing it out there. Might want to find somebody who can protect the quarterback. But Russ played well. He used his playmakers, Lockett and and DJ Metcalf, TK Metcalf, because you look at – what they've done the last couple of games, they hadn't gotten the targets. They did Sunday. They get get a win. They get 30 points. It was a nice win for Seattle, but a, a big loss for the 49ers. And KC and the Rams, I, I'm sorry, KC beating the Broncos. You watch Denver, their quarterback away. Vic Fangio's probably gone after this year, but the Broncos have a decent offensive line. Javante Williams looks like a real deal. He's got more yards after contact than anybody, I think, in the NFL this year. He's a tough physical back. He can catch the ball. Really good second-round pick out of Carolina. 
they've got great wide receivers that are coming up. Cortland Sutton is back. You keep seeing more and more out of the young kid out of Alabama, Judy. I really think there's something there in Denver. The defense is strong. If they get the quarterback this offseason, watch out for Denver next year. But Casey, as I watched this game, it became really obvious to me. And that offensive line's getting better. Those rookies are, are starting to not be rookies anymore. So it's getting better. But what I really like about Casey is where they've moved Chris Jones inside. He's as impactful of a defensive player in, as there is in the league. What they're doing with him is somewhat similar to the adjustment the Cowboys have made with Micah Parsons. And you see how when you have a great talent, putting them in a different position sometimes brings out more of that talent. Casey's figured that out with Chris Jones, and he's dominating games in the interior of the, uh, in the interior of the line. He has been a huge part of their success in Kansas City. So that's week 14 in a nutshell. I mentioned Antonio Brown and two other Tampa Bay Bucks were suspended for, I don't know if it was fake vax cards, which if it is, it's a federal crime, by the way, or if they just lied about getting vaccinated. Three games, no appeal. Cut bait with them, right? You have to. Enough of this crap. You're winning without him. You won without him last year. Why put up with it? Why tarnish your franchise? It'll be interesting to see if they do that. I would expect them to do that. Antonio Brown, what talk about a waste of talent. Man, crazy. And we're getting to where one of the worst times of the year for coaches is coming up. Black Monday. This year it'll be in January. And this year there's going to be a lot of candidates. We saw a coach get fired on Monday or on Sunday. Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, got fired. He'll go back to college as an OC and eventually be a head coach there, and he'll do well. I don't feel bad for Joe Brady, but just a little strange to have it happen now. I get it. It's their bye week, so that's when you make these changes. But apparently Matt Rule and he didn't see eye-to-eye on play calling, and Matt Rule wanted to run the ball more. Brady didn't, so that's where it goes, and you make a change. So that was, I think, too, Matt Rule – telling impatient billionaire owner David Tepper, look, I got this. Don't worry. We're going to get it done. So we'll see where it goes from there. But coaches who I think will be fired. Fangio in Denver's gone, in my opinion. Nagy in Chicago is gone. I think Las Vegas with Rich Bisaccia, I think they'll move on from him because I think they bring in a new GM as well. Name to mention, or name to keep an eye on for the GM is... A minority candidate for the Chargers, who's uh, the head of director player personnel for the Chargers. If you're a Syracuse football fan, you'll remember this guy. JoJo Wooden. His brother Terry was a linebacker in the NFL for a long time. JoJo was a four-year starter at Syracuse as well. JoJo, really good player. Didn't hook on in the NFL, but stayed on in the NFL as a scout and has worked his way up. It is one of the most respected minority candidates that there is in the league. And I wouldn't expect I wouldn't be surprised if the Raiders reached out to him and possibly brought him in for an interview. And from what I understand, JoJo Wooden's respect level throughout the league is off the charts. So I think that'd be pretty cool for a former Syracuse linebacker to get an opportunity to go there. Speaking of GMs, another place JoJo Wooden may end up 
getting an interview because he worked for the Jets for a long time would be in New York with the Giants because Dave Gettleman's got to be gone. If Gettleman's gone, I think Joe Judge is gone. I think they clean house in New York as well. I don't remember many one-and-dones in the NFL. Most coaches get like three years. But I got three guys this year who I think could possibly be one-and-dones. Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, for other reasons than he's just not getting it done, I think he'd maybe choose to go back to college. Robert Sala in in New York just doesn't seem like he's making strides defensively, which was what he was brought in to do. I know there's been injuries, but... I, I don't know how patient they're going to be with him in New York. And David Culley, I mentioned it in Houston. Why keep them? Why keep him on? Three other legendary names to keep an eye on. There's always eight or nine guys that get fired, by the way. So I'm just giving you names to keep an eye on. Pete Carroll could be done in Seattle. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Pete's 73 now. I know he acts very young, but that, that's time. Mike Tomlin. I think if you're going to move on from Ben and there's any question, I I think Tomlin's one of the top five coaches in the league, but it wouldn't surprise me to see the Steelers move on from him. And in Minnesota, especially after last week's loss, Mike Zimmer very well could go. So that's the NFL. A lot of NFL this week, this time of year, of course. College football, the playoff is set, and guess what? I think they got it right. I really do. Notre Dame fans, I want to apologize. I promised you all year you were going to be in the playoff. You ended up fifth. I think if Chip Kelly doesn't leave, maybe there's a better chance they jump Cincinnati. But I think the committee got it right by keeping Cincinnati in there. I think it was crap that the committee was holding Brian Kelly against Notre Dame. Shouldn't happen. It's not those players' fault. But I do think there was a chance they were going to jump him and didn't. First off, the Michigan win over Iowa, convincing. Big win for Harbaugh. Good for Michigan fans. Good for the tournament. Michigan's one of those teams. Be a lot of eyeballs on that game. What Alabama and Nick Saban did to Georgia was shocking to me. I would have thought it the other way. But, man, are they good. Think about this. Nick Saban replaced two first-round draft pick wide receivers with two first-round draft pick wide receivers. And now he's replaced them with two first-round draft pick wide receivers. And they've got a quarterback who's ineligible because of his age to be into the draft, but he would be the number one pick without question if he were coming out. Crazy. Crazy how good he is. So he'll be, Young will be the Heisman winner for sure. Bama number one, Michigan two, Georgia three. So it's Michigan, Georgia in the Orange Bowl, Bama, Cincinnati in the Sugar Bowl, and then the two new winners will play in the national championship game. And D ends up five. They're going to play in the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State and, and Mike Gundy, who's 40 because he's a man. And Ohio State plays in the Rose Bowl. They ended up at six. They'll play Utah. But the coaching carousel overshadowed all of this. When Lincoln Riley left, left Oklahoma to go to USC, the dominoes that started in motion were pretty crazy. Lincoln Riley at USC, I think, will be a good fit. I talked a little bit about this last week. I think he'll be a very good fit. He's already brought with him a five-star quarterback commit that was going to Oklahoma with him and a five-star running back commit that was going to Oklahoma with him as well. So he's already changed the recruiting at USC. He'll be a very good fit there. The Oklahoma job went to Will Venerables. He is the former 
defensive coordinator for Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. Long suspected to be a, a guy that somebody was going to hire and give a chance to. He gets a big job for his first job, but he's also somebody who's been at Oklahoma for years. He knows the program. He knows the culture there. I think he'll fit in well. The Brian Kelly to LSU thing took me by surprise. I was shocked by this. I got a text from somebody saying, hey, I hear Brian Kelly's going to going to LSU. I was like, wow. He bails on a team that at the time had a shot at the playoff. Again, Notre Dame finished fifth. Any coach that ever bitches about the transfer portal needs to shut the hell up. Because if coaches can leave, and I said it last week, they can leave before their bowl game. Why should any kid play in a bowl game that he doesn't want to? Never again can you bitch about that. And if the NCAA doesn't change this hiring practice where you can't hire a coach until after the season ends, then I'm sorry. There's a problem. The NCAA needs to be proactive about this. It's horrible. But he went to LSU and in one day in developed a fake Southern accent. This guy's the biggest fraud in football. Now, don't get me wrong. Brian Kelly can coach. But the story that came out this week about Robert Sala, the Jets coach, and Matt LaFleur, the Packers coach, who were his assistants, graduate assistants at Central Michigan many years ago, Kelly invited him to his Christmas party when they got there. He said, good, keep the walk shoveled and park the cars. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> what, this guy's just a jackass. And, and you know what? He could coach, so, so be it. He did a really good job at Notre Dame. And, and brought that program into a situation where I think Marcus Freeman, the defense coordinator who's been promoted now to head coach at Notre Dame, I think they have a chance to sustain this. And and this has been some really good football for the Irish. They're going to try and save the recruiting that they've had. They keep Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator. Basically, they just lost Kelly. I think there's a chance Notre Dame can salvage this and move forward. College football's better when the likes of Notre Dame and Michigan are in the mix. So I, I truly hope, like Ohio State with Ryan Day, I truly hope Notre Dame moves forward under Marcus Freeman. I'm not a Notre Dame fan at all. As a matter of fact, I'm a Notre Dame hater. But it's as easy to root against somebody in a fun game than it is to root for them. And then yesterday, another one, Mario Cristobal leaves Oregon to go to the University of Miami. That was messy. Miami didn't even fire their coach, Manny Diaz, until after Cristobal said he'd come. It was just, they handled it terribly, but they got a really good coach, a guy who's from the area, should be able to recruit. There's a ton of high school talent in the area. Keep an eye on this. Chip Kelly, the UCLA coach, going back to Oregon. Remember now, he's second fiddle in L.A. again. Because now with Lincoln Riley there, he's big-time second fiddle. Go back to Oregon. Go back to your roots. Watch Chip Kelly going to Oregon. I'm telling you. i got a feeling on that one. Syracuse basketball had a really good week. A week ago today, I was telling you they played Indiana that night. And how important of a game that's going to be because they need to stack some quality wins while they have the opportunity before they get into the conference schedule. That game was a classic. A double overtime thriller that they ended up winning by two, 112 to 110. Real nice give and go for the game winner. Uh, Gerard gets a loose ball, kicks it up ahead to Jimmy Beheim. 
Back to Gerard, goes to the basket hard, gets fouled. Gerard, the best free throw shooter on the team. No doubt he was going to make those two. He does. SU ends up getting the win. Gerard for the season is shooting 50% from three. He's still somebody who will take a bad shot, and he's not a true point guard. And because of that, his turnover assist ratio isn't where you'd like it to be. But after the Indiana game, in which in that game he had 22 points and five assists, after that, they go down to Florida State, and he had 16 in a 63-60 win in conference at Florida State. Tough place to win, and they got it done in large part because of Joe Girard. He's playing excellent basketball. Buddy Beheim against Florida State only had six points, three of ten shooting. Girard, Jesse Edwards, who's become a real factor on this team, and, and Cole Swider, who... Swider came in with a reputation as a very good shooter. And oftentimes this year, catch, hesitate, allow the defense to come out on him. Something kicked in the Indiana game late. Catch, shoot. Catch, shoot. No hesitation. Brought that to the Florida State game as well. He he could shoot it. He could fill it up. He played really well. Those are two good wins for Syracuse to put on their non-conference. Now, tonight they play Villanova at the Garden in the Jimmy V Classic. A really good opportunity to see them on a primetime stage. Very much looking forward to this and should be more of the same with the Orange trying to get the shots going. But if Jesse Edwards is on the floor, he is their best rebounder. He's an active offensive piece in the middle, something they haven't had in years at Syracuse. A center you could go to for offense. He is that. He runs the floor well. He's got to stay on the floor and stay out of foul trouble. Still very inexperienced, but there's a lot to like about him. So we'll see what happens tonight. Remember this, too, as you watch the game. Syracuse this year, 1-3 when they've been out-rebounded by their opponents. This is a team that's going to be out-rebounded a lot. 4-0 when they've out-rebounded their opponents. You want a key to victory? Get on the glass. They've also had a nice, and I give the old guy a lot of credit, old men don't change. I know I don't. Jim Beheim's 20 years my senior, and I know he doesn't like to change either. But Jim Beheim has tweaked his zone. And in doing so, he's brought the wings up to challenge the three-point shot on the wing and made it more difficult. And I think the reason he can do this is because of the length of Jesse Edwards on the back. Because he's back there, the recovery to get back to an open player is better because of the length of Jesse Edwards and and in part because of the athleticism of Frank Anselm when he's in there at center as well. So a nice little tweak to the zone. They've got some good things going. If they shoot it well, they can compete with anybody, but more importantly, they've got a rebound. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good week. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.